Praise God. Thank you so much, all those on the platform. I want you to open to Acts chapter 2. This is kind of the second part of what I preached Wednesday, or Sunday night rather, on the church. And the vantage point of that one um, was the church God's plan. This is God's institution. This is what God is doing. He has no plan B. And in the midst of it all are all sorts of imperfections. uh, And uh, there was a great caution that was given through the word of God about uh, what we say about God's people and what we say about God's church is imperfect as it is. It's God's institution. So I want to uh, take that thought into this sermon uh, that I want to preach this morning on the same topic, just a little different vantage point out of Acts chapter 2. Now we are currently living in a very secular age of the church. Now when Jesus dealt with the seven churches of Revelation, which they say represent the church age, what Jesus was dealing with were the results of the secularizing of the church. Now in this secular age that the megachurch has emerged upon the scene, many have been built upon secular means, secular philosophies, using just enough of the word of God to seem like a legitimate church fashioned after the first century book of Acts. But you'd be surprised how much the book of Acts has been discarded because it doesn't fit into today's uh, appetite. And one of the main things that's been birthed due to these movements is what I will call the self-will movement among 21st century proclaiming Christians. And furthermore, 21st century idolatry is alive and well in the church today. And one of the areas that this is all translating into among professing Christians is in the pews. In the conviction about the assembly and assembling together. Secularism, covetous pursuits and idolatry has changed the appetites of professing Christians. And more and more you're finding professing Christians that say they can serve God without the church or with very little church. Which in and of itself is totally anti-biblical. And the New Testament knows nothing of today's individualized Christianity or of the Christian who thinks they don't need church or they don't need to be part of the larger body linked to local congregations. And so this sermon I have entitled, Church, Why Bother? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved. Now, this was the day of Pentecost. People getting saved, Peter preaching. Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, what we're going to do today. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, with simplicity of heart, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those being saved. Church, why bother? I want to first talk about and, and bring to you a quick history lesson. And it all begins in the text that I've chosen for today's sermon. That the Bible records an historical move of God that was sustained by and identified by their assembling together, what we're doing here this morning. So in our text, in verse 46, so they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So it needs to be established that the first century church of the book of Acts is the church that needs to be the template. It's the church that we are emulating, not the user-friendly, pragmatic version of today's church. It's still the book of Acts church. That's what we're after. And the gathering together as the body of Christ began in the first century as the template of the church. This is our example. And in the New Testament church, the Bible says that they met daily. How many know it's hard to find churches today that meet even three times a week anymore? It's becoming a thing that's more and more becoming obsolete. Everything is fashioned for the pursuits of the appetites of men. Now, I couldn't find a good source as I searched for the origins of Sunday night church and Wednesday church, although we believe that all day Sunday is the Lord's day. But what I did find when I was Googling and looking for the origins is what I found is a lot of disgruntled people over the fact that they felt pressured to go to those services. And so here, here you're, you're, you're looking for the origins and what you're finding in today's secularized society is people that are all bent out of shape and, and upset about the fact that, that they feel pressured that I, I have to go to church more than one time a week. Thought that was pretty telling. But you know, the history of the church is that they had meetings of some sort every single day. Whether it was in the temple or in people's homes. I want you to think about that for a second. Because what this tells me is that the church that is healthy and the people that are healthy spiritually want to be in church as much as they can. But that tells me. Now, when we talk about attending the assembly, this is a 2,000-year-old practice. This isn't something, as I said on Sunday night, we didn't come up with this idea. God did. And in America, Christians are always demanding that someone explain to us why we ought to do the kinds of things that Christians have always done. As if somehow our preferences today now trump all of the history of the church. Because, you know, we're, we're the 21st century and we've, we, we've learned a new way to do this. You know, the assembling together and attending to the word of God and fellowship with God's people is something that Christians of every era have considered crucial to their faith. I need church. I need as much of it as I can get, as often as I can get. I need to be around God's people. I need to hear a preacher preaching the word to keep me synchronized. It was crucial to their faith. And historically speaking, 
Christians have always met for corporate worship and prayer. It may not have always been in a building, but they always met. You know, think about the history of Christianity. Because many risked torture and execution in order to come together to worship. And they would still gather together, whether it was in tunnels or houses or caves, in order to come and do what we're doing today, that we contend to take so for granted. Or think it's just, you're just imposing upon my life. St. Justin was born a few decades after Peter was martyred. And he revealed under interrogation by Roman authorities that he had been meeting with his brothers and sisters in the faith in his own home. There they preached, prayed, baptized, and had communion. Shortly after this admission, Justin and his co-defendants were tortured and beheaded for doing what we're doing today. Something that has been so neglected in the generation that we live in was so worth it for people to die for. See, assembling together as often as possible, and especially on the Lord's Day, has always been a defining feature of the Christian life. That hasn't changed. People are trying to change it, but we don't go by the latest trends or whatever the latest movements are doing. We go by the Word of God. And if you travel in a time machine to any point in history up until recently, you will see Christians meeting together in communion as a priority of their life. Those of you that can remember the blue laws in America, and I I vaguely remember them. I was relatively young to my remembrance of them. But it was basically a law prohibiting certain activities. One of them was shopping. Oh, on Sundays, you know, selling of alcohol, there's a lot of things. And, and in essence, a lot of the city would shut down. And the reason they shut down is they said, because we're going to honor the time of worship. Literally, this wasn't that far back. The turn really began to turn and secularize about the mid-80s. Uh, uh, really, really took its turn. But th- this is what, what we often do historically of, of the assembly and what we're doing here today. I, I want to read you a couple of, of uh, quotes out of an article. So what about us? What makes us special? What's our excuse? Do we actually have an excuse that the Christians under Roman persecution or communist persecution or Japanese persecution or Mexican persecution or Islamic persecution didn't have? Do we have a credible and compelling reason to not do the thing that our brothers and sisters risk their lives to do? Even if we see church just as a tradition, shouldn't we have a reason to chuck it to the side after all this time? Oh, I suppose we do have our reasons. We're tired. It's a hassle. It's boring. The seats are uncomfortable. We have too much Facebook pursuing to do. Aside from the people who are physically unable to attend because of infirmity or some other extreme circumstance, the primary excuses for skipping sound pretty lame when you say them out loud. Granted, sometimes we have justifications that feel more righteous. Maybe we went to church a while ago and something happened that 
offended us or maybe we've tried out the church's clothes and by we found something distasteful about them. Someone once told me she stopped going to church because there were rude people and hypocrites at the one she attended. Apparently, she's looking for a church where the congregants are as flawless as she is. Perhaps next she'll search for a doctor's office where all the patients are in perfect health before they arrive for their appointments. Goes on to say, church isn't a fun thing to do when it happens to strike our fancy. It's not a bowling alley, for goodness sake. It's not recreation at all. It's adoration. It's as much as we like to pretend otherwise an actual necessity and obligation of the Christian life. And that brings us finally to why all those Christians throughout history have given up so much to do the thing that we have stopped for no apparent reason. So this brings me secondly to the growing disregard. Now statistics and trends show that more and more people are not going to church anymore. There's a a small study called Attendance in America. Now, they kind of came to a head-on collision between statisticians. But these guys kind of dug a little deeper than the the surface level of a phone call and ask you. And people will always try to um, hide the things that they think are bad and give you more uh, than what's really true about the things they think are good. So this is the way a lot of these um, these stats came in originally. So this group took it a little further. And it says less than 20%. Now think about this. 20% of Americans regularly attend church. We're just talking church in general. We're not talking Christian church, okay? Half of what the pollsters report. So while Gallup polls and other statisticians have turned this percentage of 40, this group went on and began to search in this directive church planting for Evangelical Covenant Church. They began collecting this data in the 80s. Gradually expanding the research to encompass overall church attendance trends in the church. His study tracked the annual attendance of more than 200,000 individuals. You know when you get these political polls that come out? They say, oh, well, Hillary's leading by this or Trump's leading by this. They're they're only gauging about 1,000 people. So they're doing 200,000 people to determine attendance... And and they go on with this, and their findings reveal the actual rate of church attendance from headcounts is less than the the 40%. They're actually saying, and they showed in 2004, 17.7% of the population attended a Christian church on any given weekend. So, So this is staggering. Okay, this is a staggering number if you look historically. There's this growing disregard for the assembly. So as the early church, the first century church I read about, as they got people saved, they immediately locked into the local church. And one of the habits that became immediate was they began to meet together every single day in some fashion or another. But the stats and the trends of the 21st century is that there's this growing disregard for the assembly today. And even more so, we find the testimony... In verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. 
So the standard set by the early church was one of consistent growth in converts and daily people being added. And not only were they uh, getting saved, but they began to attend the meetings themselves. And those that were attending were bringing others also. So here's this trend of the first century that was just exploding. And it was all linked to this assembling together. The first thing they did by default, because (coughs) that was the culture that was established by Jesus. It began in that upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell on them. So when people came into the church, there wasn't this trend of lackadaisical and come and go as you please and take it or leave it. Or that was a football game on tonight. I'm not going to come. There was none of that. It was highly committed Christians. They were committed to the assembly and people came in and immediately locked into that. So those that were saved saw the passion that people had for the assembly and by default became highly committed to the assembly. So there's this little thing called when Christians quit church. Lynn loves God. Praises his name, studies his word, serves his people, helps build his kingdom. She just can't be bothered to go to his house anymore. It's becoming more common. The spirit-filled believer who spends many of her working days at Christian conferences is more likely to be found slumbering on Sunday mornings or washing her clothes. I'm sick of hearing pastors talking for themselves, she admits candidly. I don't want to go and hear the same thing I did last week, which you don't around here, by the way. Sing three fast and three slow. No, we do three fast and one slow. Okay. I just don't want to spend three and a half hours at church. I prefer to sleep in, do my laundry or prepare for the next week. And I'm really glad that she asked God about this. It's okay. But, but, you know, she's obviously more God than he is. And so Lynn is in good company for thousands like her who all... uh, uh, who by all litmus tests would be gauged as devout and even zealous, Christians are voting with their feet and becoming stay-away saints. Now, this woman's reasoning can sound pretty appealing. And there are some that struggle with this more than others. And there's certainly a growing trend of people that are staying home on Sunday and Wednesday And scheduling other events on God's day, yet feel as though they're just as on fire for God as the rest of them. The problem is God doesn't give us this option. I'm just letting that settle in. This is where you start feeling the vibes as a preacher. Remembering my sermon Sunday night, church is God's plan. It's the place that God has ordained where people can grow, be challenged when they sit under the preached word of God, and enter into fellowship with other Christians that are like-minded. Now, toward the end of the first century, some of the Jews begin to fall off in their faithfulness to the assembly, and they're called on it through the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and much more as you see the day approaching. Now, like the NIV, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching, which personally, after that uh, presentation and sermon that Ernie did Wednesday night, (laughs) uh, I think it's pretty obvious we're getting close. One of the main reasons that Jewish converts were backing off from faithfulness in the gathering and the assembly was due to persecution. But the Jews had an out that the Gentiles didn't have. All they had to do was renounce this thing and they could go back to their old synagogue. And I noticed that they hadn't been in church in a a few services. I know they're going through stuff and and followed up. And and their way of dealing with it was, well, I just got to kind of work things out here and then I'll be back. Well, that makes zero sense at all. Zero. This is the place you work it out. This is the place you find encouragement. This is the place that preaching helps you. The problem that we face in the 21st century is apathy towards the assembly. That's why I called this sermon church. Why bother? Because we've been convinced either by self-justification or the lack of biblical preaching, which is not the case here, that our spiritual status is not affected by disregarding the assembly. A couple of articles that I found, one is called the top 10 reasons people cite for not attending church services. He says there was a day when it was a regular feature in churches all across America. If a person attended Sunday school and, and Sunday schools were humongous, OK, they were humongous Sunday school every Sunday in a year. He or she was awarded a pen. So it was kind of like perfect attendance for your kid, which ours never got. But. Uh, or, or was awarded an attachment that hung below the original pin to denote another year of perfect attendance. Didn't miss any Sunday schools all year long. People that took great pride in amassing multi-year pins that honored their spiritual fortitude and persistence. Gradually, the expectation that weekly attendance at church was given has eroded and been replaced with a Hope that people will attend church regularly. I really hope they're here tonight. The definition of what constitutes regular attendance has been redefined downward as competition on weekends has increased. Some churches are coming to realize that very active, loyal people are attending church much less, much less frequently than before. As a result... Average weekly attendance is in serious decline for many. And I'm just going to mention a few of the top ten reasons that they cite in this study. One was athletic events, whether it be college, professional athletic events. uh, But there's this tense loyalty in following their teams. Uh, People that travel to Saturday night games showing up Sunday mornings is a stretch. They don't do it. Or professional athletic events. Uh, which is the curse of the NFL because it's on God's day. They take place on Sundays and force a choice between attending church or being at the game or the tailgate event. That's the first reason. second one is commitment. Many have told us that the depth of their commitment to weekly attendance is eroding. There are multiple reasons, but at the heart of the matter is a sense that What is offered on Sunday mornings is not as meaningful or valuable enough to make an effort to attend. Or we can say Sunday night or Wednesday. Exhaustion. On several occasions we've heard younger families say that they find themselves exhausted by a six-day work week 
overactive social life, overengaged children, and a host of other stresses. Several have mentioned that Sundays are now their only day to be together as a family. Occasionally, they choose to spend the morning all together, and pretty soon, they're totally backslidden. Oh, that wasn't in there. That was my... Holidays, the number of Sundays that are now a part of holiday weekends. They said one pastor counted them, whether they were long weekends that people leave town or holiday weekends, 26 Sundays. That's quite some competition. Children, place they need to be the most. But it's the, it's the age of, of work, child worship. And so, so it says the array of activities for children offered only on weekends. And then I would say, then you're not going to be in it. Anyway, only on weekends is overwhelming. Athletic travel teams, academic conferences, chess tournaments, cheering competitions, parties, trips, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Title of another article, Whatever Happened to Sunday Evening Services? And, and I don't have time to go into all of it. The bottom line is that Sunday PM services in many, many churches are becoming a thing of the past because they get tired of seeing nobody show. Let's remember again that before we say, oh, well, where does the Bible teach Sunday night? Where does the Bible teach Wednesday? Well, okay, I'll give you that, scholar. I got, you got it, all yours. But what I see is they met every day. Every single day. In some capacity or another. So in our text, it links their attendance habits with spiritual growth and acceleration. So we can deduct that as attendance habits decline, so does spiritual health. Now, nobody will ever readily admit that, but the proof's really in the pudding as we follow up on people. And what all the studies have found in a nutshell is the number one reason for declining church attendance is members now that just attend less frequently. They haven't left the church. And by all indications, majority of them are not backslid. They just have found other things that are more interesting to them, that are more priority to them. And so this is the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is attendance of members that once had a strong conviction and no longer do and have begun to fall off. Let me throw this at you. Because what's happening is people are doing what they want with their time on God's time and demanding that Jesus come to us. So we just, you know, we just, you know, and... Face value, there's nothing wrong with a Saturday night church service. What's wrong with a Saturday night church service is it was done to cater to people's idolatry. That's what's wrong with it. It isn't in itself. The day itself is not the problem. You get that? It's not the problem. The problem is they did it to cater to people's idolatry and wouldn't challenge them. To, let's, let's make this a sacred time. So think about this. There are 168 hours... In a week. Now I'm just doing it based on services here. If you were to come to all three services and the Sunday school every week, <laughs> what? <laughs> I got paper bags somewhere. It's seven. We can't give God seven hours of our week. That is pathetic. You know the New Testament knows nothing of the individualized. 
Christianity of Christians who think he does not need the body of Christ or the assembly. Knows nothing. And in Scripture, we are referred to as a flock, as the collective bride of Christ. We are all limbs and organs in the body of Christ. This is the way the Bible presents it. And we are told that we cannot separate ourselves from the rest of the body. So where does this Lone Ranger Christianity come from? Well, it's just idolatry. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, as the body is one and as many members, that's us, but all the members of that one body being many are one body also in Christ. It's, that only happens when we gather together in its truest form. It's right here. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit, for in fact, the body is not the member, one member, but many. So God has equipped this gathering. He has ordained this gathering. And he has therefore equipped it as a place that not only do we need, but it's the place that you're going to grow spiritually. So think about this, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building of the body of Christ. That's why. You can't get that in. Oh, I sit at home and watch. Watch what? Watch what your itchy ears want. And then you turn to the football game. Come on. Be real. You need a church. And this is almost evident when we're gathered together as the body attending to preaching, partaking in fellowship and giving. So a conclusion that I draw, I know you're not going to like this, but a conclusion that I draw is that modern day idolatry is alive and well. We're living in a nation that's filled with idolatrous pursuits that have taken the place of strong desire to be in God's house, listen to God's word, fellowship with God's people. In the book of Luke, Jesus spoke, chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. He said, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of things you possess. Then he spoke a parable, and he spoke about this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, hey, what can I do? I have no room to store my crops. He said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and I'll store all my crops and goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. That's what we are. Take your ease. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And so the things that people are selling God's house out for in the end will leave you wanting. And what it's coming down to with the competitions of life and the pursuits of life is, eh, church, eh, why bother? So let me conclude with making a call to commit to the assembly. Committing to the assembly. In our text, it highlights the assembly as the priority of God's heart. That's what we're after, God's heart. And you have to think, Jesus just died for this, okay? 
This is what he envisioned all along. He mentioned it in the Gospels. He mentioned his church. He just died for this. He spoke of this. And then he left them and he said, okay, go meet together as the Ecclesia. Meet together. Stay in that meeting. And there I'm going to visit you with the Holy Spirit. All that God ever envisioned from the days of the Old Testament till now were happening. Only to enter the 21st century to see such disregard for the assembly and the priority of meeting together. And so many times it's for such frivolous, idolatrous reasons. It really is. And I'm going to leave you to be honest between you and God. But think about this. Here's Jesus in Matthew 21. Such zeal. The Bible says he went to the temple, verse 12. Drove out all that bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It's written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. You've secularized it. You've secularized everything that I have envisioned for this place. You've secularized it. Jesus was zealous about assuring that his house was being used for his purpose. And it wasn't being approached secularly. And for some of you that got upset because Pastor Stevens cut the live stream, it's because this is what he believes. If you can be here and choose not to and stay at home, that's not acceptable. That's not the way God ordained it. Jesus believed in having a building, a certain place that was designated for his purpose, where people would come and meet with him, beginning in prayer. And he even resorted to violence to protect it. That's how zealous he was about this. See, the truth is that far fewer people attend church on Sunday than claim to follow Christ. All these people, oh. I'm a Christian. Really, what church you go to? And they come up with this big old reasoning on why they don't go to church. Well, don't call yourself Christian then. If you can go to church and you don't go to church, don't call yourself a Christian because the Bible knows nothing of your type. Nothing. So it's time to recommit to the assembly. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself. What would church look like if everyone were like me? Ask that personally. What would church look like if everyone were like me? Because the truth of recommitting yourself to the assembly begins with spiritually realigning yourself with Christ, a passion for His Word, and a passion for His purpose for your life. Passion for the assembly and a passion for Christ go hand in hand. And I don't have enough paper and time. Biblically, I'm not even touching it this morning. Trust me, you do your own study. You will find that statement very true that a commitment and a passion for the assembly and a passion for Christ go hand in hand. The New Testament knows nothing of today's individualized Christianity or of the Christian who thinks they don't need church, they don't need to be a part of a larger body of Christ linked to a local congregation. The the, the Bible cannot identify you. And what it comes down to is the cares and the riches of life that choke out the word. That's what Jesus said. 
comes down to a matter of pursuits in life and where our desire really is. See, the 21st century is a very secular church. And I say that as a broad statement. They have secular agendas. They're chasing the almighty dollar at the expense of being faithful to the assembly and gathering with God's people. I said it. I don't apologize for it. Because it's true. It's time to recommit to the assembly. Making the assembly a priority that is not easily displaced. And I realize there are all sorts of tension points in society today and jobs and school. I get all of that. I am, you know, it comes down to attitude. That we're still, in spite of all these, we're doing everything we can. We want to be there. We want to be a part of it. We want to be plugged in. You know, that's one of the things that just drove me nuts being in the military was I was gone all the time. I missed revivals. I missed church three weeks at a time. I mean, thank God I had revival in me and I, we had revival out in the desert, but... But I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to be there for the revivals and the church services. Something that Christians risked their lives for in the first century. 21st century Christians are selling out the assembly to keep their lives. Be honest with yourselves. Do you still have the same drive and passion to be in the assembly whenever we meet together? Or have you long ago given up on that fight to keep the assembly as much of a priority in your life as you possibly can? If you can't, with a resounding yes, amen, say that's what I do, that's my heart, then we're going to recommit to the assembly at this altar this morning. God is going to help us. A lot of your spiritual issues are linked to this. And let me say as I close, there are some of you that you've ditched the known will of God for your life and began pursuing self-will and your desire for the assembly as a result has diminished greatly. Because, you know, once you ditch the will of God, once you're no longer pursuing a will of God, a known will of God, the assembly doesn't take on the same meaning anymore. Let's be honest. Self-will kicks in. It's time to put God first again. Contend for His will. Contend for the gathering. And as He said in Hebrews, that you do not get into the habit. That's the issue, isn't it? The habit of missing church. Just because you can. Outside of legitimate reasons, you need to recommit to the assembly to make three times a week your habit. Even when we fall short, or even then we fall short of the New Testament template, because they met every single day. See, the Bible highlights in this text that the two go hand in hand, spiritual health and the assembly. And I want to challenge you. And, and you know, uh, to be quite honest with you, um, this really, God planted this seed in my spirit. I don't recall exactly how it all came about, but it was a, it was a time of pondering. And the, the sermon I preached Sunday night came, and it became evident that but the Spirit of God was planting this in my... And so I told Ernie this morning on the platform, I said, man, I, I really hope I'm not preaching to the choir this morning. You know, you, 
you want to preach things, that are, but I don't think I am. By the spirit I'm feeling right now, I, I believe God is dealing with people. And if we'll make an adjustment and recommit to the assembly, I'm telling you, God is going to powerfully move on your behalf. He's going to help you. He's going to refresh you. A lot of the struggles you're dealing with are going to begin to subside. You're going to get recalibrated, and God is going to move on your behalf. Amen. We're going to bow our heads. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. A few moments this morning. I don't have an axe to grind here this morning. Look, this is just the passion of God's heart being spoken. Think about it. He, he did all this. He created all this. He instituted this. He died for this. And, and it really is a gauge, as much as we hate to have to face that, it really is a gauge of where we are spiritually by how much we desire to be in the house of God. Now, Again, I realize there are there are things in our generation, the tension points of things that sometimes are out of our control, but, but our heart is, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do everything I can to, to change the schedule. I'm going to do everything I can to, to move in this direction. I want to be with It's an attitude. But you'd be surprised how many people, it's just church. Huh? Why bother? And so this morning, before I go any further, you hear and and thank God you're here. What what a I remember sitting in a church for the first time. I felt so out of place because I wasn't used to church. But man, God was dealing with me that day. I remember so specifically. And, and you're here today and putting everything else aside for a moment. You're not right with God. Greatest priority of your entire life is to get right with God. Because we're all going to die one day. And when we die, this life is done and we don't have any more opportunities. Reincarnation's a lie. Why, why do people fear death so much if it's no big deal? Because instinctively, God put it in us. We know there's a life after this. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to spend eternity? Is that place called hell really real? I'll tell you, that's what got me saved. It wasn't, yeah, I was miserable. I, I was a sinner. But you know what really got me saved? It was one night, on a Tuesday night, in a little Pentecostal church, a preacher had the audacity to talk about hell. I'll tell you what, that moved me. I was, I was terrified of this place. You're here and you're not right with God. You know, when we're not right with God, our lives are, are a mess. I know you may... You may have gotten used to just functioning with dysfunction, and, and, but it's a mess. I'm telling you, there's a miracle working God that will move in your circumstance, in your life. He will break curses in your life, curses in your family. But you have to come first on the terms of repentance. God, I am sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm not right with you, but I want to get right today. And I'm telling you, God will meet with you. And you're here, and that's you. And you're not right, but you're ready to get right today. I want to ask you to put your hand up. Just slip it up so I can see it. I want to pray with you. You can just put it up. Once I see it, you can put it right back down. You're not right with God. You're, you're ready. Put that hand. Thank you so much. Thank you. God's going to help you today. You came to the right day. God's going to meet with you. Who else? God's dealing with you right now. You're not right. But you're ready to get right with God. We always think, oh, what am I going to have to give up? Well, stop. You're asking the wrong question. What do you gain? Freedom? Liberty? The love of God, forgiveness, 
It's not what you, the things you have to give up are the things you need to give up because they're, they're tormenting your life. Come to Jesus today. God is calling you. You say, you know what? Pray with me. I need Jesus. Lift your hand up. Who else with this honest young lady? I'm ready to get right with God. Would you pray with me today? I'm ready to get my life to Jesus Christ. Ready to surrender to Almighty. Stop doing it my way. Now put aside your religious preference for a moment. Just ask yourself, am I really right with God? Does my lifestyle really glorify Jesus Christ? Am I really what the Bible says? And if you don't know what the Bible says, then chances are you're not right. God's calling you today. Come to Jesus. Who else with his honest heart? Lift your hand up. You're backslidden. God's calling you. God's making an appeal right now. Today is your day. Come back to Jesus. Don't wait another moment. Life is too uncertain. God is calling you today. Recommit your life. Lift your hand up. Who's that? God's dealing with you. Very quickly, before we leave this part of the service, thank you so much. God's going to help you today. You watch. Radical change. You watch. Thank you, Jesus. Who else? Others. God's dealing. You feel it. You feel that kind of agitated feeling. You feel like you're kind of being singled out. That's just the Holy Ghost on you. If you respond to God, He's going to help you today. Lift your hand up. You want to pray and get your heart right with God. I want to pray with you. Who would that be? Anybody else? Very quickly, we're going to move the order of the service, but we want to give you opportunities to respond to Jesus. Lift your hand up. Okay, you, you lifted your hands. Did you mean that? You, you meant that? Yeah. Did you mean that back here? You're going to come. I'm going to have one of the girls come walk with her. God bless you. Somebody's going to walk with you. They're going to take care of that right now. Thank God. Every other head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Listen, the, the truth of the matter is, and I could have preached a lot of different ways just on my opening and the whole secularism and covetous pursuits and idolatry. I could have gone so many ways that that affects the church. But one of it certainly is it's affecting the assembling of ourselves together. And the Bible says that as the day is approaching, as the day of that end, to God's finality, you need to be more committed than ever. We're, we're seeing the total opposite. The early church, the moment they got saved, they were serious. They locked in. They were at the meetings. They were there. They just wanted more of God. They were fellowshipping, locking into the Word, studying, reading their Bibles. You don't see that. It's, a, it's this tension point. It's people are so used to living for themselves and doing what they want to do and just disregarding God or or disregard. And then you've got all the pollution of all these false preachers out there that refuse to bring you to task with the true word of God and just kind of make it palatable so it's easier so you're not so easily pushed to have to make a decision well you know do you want to go to heaven or not you have to make some hard decisions about yourself because Jesus said if you're not willing to deny yourself hate your own life then that day when you stand before him he's not going to accept you in do you understand that? This is eternal stuff. He says, but if you'll give your life now and surrender some of those things that you're so afraid to let go of for the sake of surrendering to else, your heart is somewhere else. You know, just because we're here doesn't always mean that our hearts are in the right place. But I'm not going to go there. That's another subject. Because I'm not going to downplay the fact that I come to church because it's something that God does highlight. Oh, God, your visitation, your help, 
your grace at this altar this morning, Lord. God, searching our hearts, Lord. Oh, God, cleanse us of all apathy, Lord, all complacency. Lord, let the fire of the baptism of the Holy Ghost be afresh in our lives. Oh, God, strong hunger, Lord, purging out the idolatrous pursuits, Lord. Thank you, Lord, worthy to be praised. Touch heaven today. Just talk to God. Just be honest with God. Open your heart. But you got you got to make an adjustment. And it begins with judging your own self-will. Because what, what I'm after this morning are the frivolous, idolatrous things that keep us out of church. We just didn't, because we didn't feel like it, didn't want to, or made an excuse, or had something else we had a desire for. Listen, we, we way, way, way underestimate how God values the assembly, what God really thinks about this. And again, I, I couldn't do justice. I wanted to do more scriptural justice, but that would have taken me on a tangent. I couldn't have ever finished the sermon, but I'm telling you, the Bible speaks loudly what I'm talking about today. It is not quiet on it. It isn't just a couple little script. Yeah, I mean, it is the thread of the Bible, what I'm talking about. Oh, God, have right of way, Lord. By the blood of Jesus, flow down today upon the assembly. God, sanctify the assembly today. Lord, God, search our hearts and make them known to us. Hallelujah, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you died for us, Lord. We thank you that you have created the church, Lord. You've given us this place to meet, God, that this is your plan. This is your purpose. Thank you, Lord, Redeemer, we thank you. Make a thorough search of your heart today. And let me ask you a question. If what I preached on upset you today, you have to ask yourself, why? It's important. Why? Why don't we stand right where we're at? I think you have, I bow down, keyed up. Let's sing this song. It's so appropriate that these need to be our words of surrender to God. Lift your hands. If you know the song, sing it. Let's worship together. Thank you. 
King. There is none like you, O Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord and Savior, Redeemer. We love you and praise you and magnify your holy name. Hallelujah. For thus says the Lord God that I am God, and there is no other gods that are before me. And as David has prophesied, and the Lord Jesus has declared, zeal for my house has eaten me up. Thus says the Lord, zeal for my house should consume thee. This morning, thus saith God, for it is not perfection that I require of you, otherwise I would ask it. For David was a man of sins, but his sins were forgiven because his only desire is that there would be a dwelling place for my name's sake. Thus saith the Lord, and you have been called out this morning out of the miry clay. You have been called out from the world. This is the church. This is the ecclesia. You have been summoned in this place that where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there in the midst of them. Thus saith the Lord. Yes, give him praise. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Oh, we exalt you and magnify your holy name, God. You are worthy, O oh God, worthy. Araba, Araba, Sarama, Kore. Ikono, Robo, Sibi, Arama, Kore, Bebebese. Thank you, Lord and Savior, righteous. Love you. Ikoro, Robo, say, Hallelujah. Thank God. Amen. Thank God. See, you don't, you, you're not going to get that anywhere else. But as you gather together, you could be somewhere else. You listen to it on the CD. You're going to get what we got right now. The deposit. Amen. And, and I realize that this has made some feel uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, if you'll just really ponder it and, and, and search God and, and put aside the, the, your, your reasonings and justifications, you'll come to the conclusion. God will help. I'm telling you, it's in a, you, you're not putting two and two together. A lot of your spiritual problems are linked to your attitude about the assembly. Amen. And so let's take this. The first way to put this at work, and I know this is going to pressure some people. Come tonight. This is where we belong on the Lord's day. Come tonight. Let's be in the house of God. Pastor Luna is going to be preaching on the promise. I've already heard part of it. It's a fantastic sermon. Let's be here and let's let God make another deposit. And soon enough, this will become your habit. And you'll break the old habits and the new habits and then all of a sudden new desires. And then you're beginning to get excited again and and revival. There it is. And God will help you. Amen. So let's go. We're going to bow our heads. Don't forget the water baptism immediately following. We're going to go to the fellowship hall. Thank God for his assembly. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Alex Hernandez his voice and dismissing us in prayer.